Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Griefsters. I hope you're doing okay this week. Thank you so much to those who came to the live show at the BFI on Saturday. It was it was so wonderful to be in that room and get together and just talk about death in a non deeply depressing way hopefully um if you did miss out don't worry we have another live show coming up on november the 16th at the dulwich picture gallery where i'll be joined by jeff lloyd stevie martin and sophie duker to have some more cheery chats about death head to the dulwich picture gallery website for tickets this week i'm talking to writer kim sherwood kim's debut novel testament won the 2016 bath novel award and is loosely based on her own experience of grief after her grandfather the actor george baker died It's a really incredible book. I would genuinely recommend it. It tackles a lot of other subjects other than grief, including uh, World War II, the Holocaust, memory, you know, huge big topics. But it's beautifully written and a genuinely incredible first novel. Kim came in to talk to me about her grandfather, who died in 2011. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm joined today by writer Kim Sherwood. Hello. Hello. Um, Kim, I have a confession. I'm really, really tired today. Me too. <laughs> Why I'm tired is entirely your fault. Oh no. I was up reading your amazing book. Ah. Testament. Is it, when did it come out? It's been out a while. July 12th. I've been wondering, I was like, can I, is it available to buy? <laughs> I'm a bit overall because I, I just, it's quite, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Okay, first, this is my first point to you. <laughs> bit heavy for the tube carrying wise. It's a big book. Yes, that's fair. I have to carry it to all of my events yeah. and I have been a bit like, couldn't I have edited more? It could be lighter. <laughs> I mean, and but you know, at some books, it's worth it. You mm. know, like I remember carrying that giant Harry Potter around. Oh yeah, I thought, you know what, this is worth it. This is worth it. It is worth it, but it definitely, it's. I mean, it's not. I think because so many books are so light these days, <laughs> readers don't, listeners don't be put off. It's not like a, a tome. <laughs> but um, I just want to say, like, fucking hell, it's amazing. Thank you. It's such a good book. Thank you. As someone who does a podcast on grief, mm. I tend to try and avoid reading. I'd imagine about sad things and you wouldn't believe my book side my bedside table at the moment has um 
life after death, the day they mm. went missing, learning to die. Like <laughs> it's and so when Testament got early, I was like, oh god, mm. like. But it's I will use the phrase fucking good. Thank you so much. It's so That's good. Really kind. Thank you. Well, I know what else can you say? It's awkward. <laughs> um, so just briefly, what what is it about? Just so people know why I'm going about it. Why is it? <laughs> it might make you initially like this podcast. Initially think, do I really want to read about that? Mm. Yeah. So it's about the impact of the Holocaust on three generations of a family. Mm. It opens with a grandfather dying, um, and it's really about the relationship between the grandfather and the granddaughter. So. He's called Joseph Silk, he's an artist, um, and he's uh, sort of one of Britain's most eminent abstract painters in the novel. He has this kind of secret past that he's kept hidden. He's a Holocaust survivor, but he's always refused to talk about it. Mm. And when he dies, his granddaughter Eva discovers a witness testimony that he gave in 1945, uh, which tells the story of what happened to him and his family. And she then has to make the decision of whether or not to let the Jewish Museum in Berlin make it public and therefore undermine the reconstructed identity that he spent all of his life trying to make, in which he wasn't a Holocaust survivor, he was Joseph Silk and a painter and could put that behind him. Yeah. You've had to give that answer a lot. <laughs> it was really good. I was like, Thank oh, you. yeah, that is a good one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone there. That's, that's good. It's such a good, but what I suppose what I found interesting as someone who like, yeah, you know, did know some of that history. I didn't know much about um, Hungary mm. at all. I knew lots about Poland and Germany. Mm. Um, so I think that's mainly what's taught in schools. Yeah. But I had no idea about the Hungarian Jewish situation and what had happened there. And yeah, yeah I found that like like opening another door, being like, oh, and also being like, oh no, oh God, what's in here? Yes, yes, This yes. is awful. <laughs> that was what a lot of my research was like for yeah. the novel, opening another door and going, it just gets worse. Yeah. It just keeps getting worse and I didn't think it could. I know you um, d- you don't think it could. Mm. And it's not to say Hungary was, it's not like Hungary was worse than Poland. It's mm. just another bit of the story, mm. like just yeah. another branch that you're like, oh, and that was also yeah. got, oh no. And quite a different branch as well, I think, yeah. because... In some ways, the Holocaust in Hungary was unique because they had the Hungarian Forced Labour Service, which was um, essentially slavery in a mobile way, as strange mm. as that sounds. Uh, so people who were deemed undesirable, Jewish people, communist people, and so on, uh, were uh, digging trenches or working in mines or being moved from place to place wow. um, for years before we really think of the camps. Wow! So there was this system in Hungary, um, this kind of institutionalized anti-Semitism for a long time. I mean, the first anti-Semitic law was passed in Hungary in 1920, and that was the first anti-Semitic law in Europe in the 20th century. Oh, Hungary doesn't—it doesn't look good on the old <laughs> no, Tinder profile, does moment. it? Like first anti-Semitic <laughs> yes. law in Europe. Yes, got there first. Yeah, sorry, Germany. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but what, what I, the other thing I found so interesting about it, and I love history anyway, mm. is the reminder of how messy history is, and the reminder that um, Hungary and Austria and Germany and France and England are so connected in a way that Absolutely. we act like we're not. The way you're like they're a separate country, and I—I yeah. I thought it was so incredible the way that. People were just walking through borders yeah. and traveling and talk, and they keep talking about life before the war and how yeah. f- the freedom of everyone being. And I think it's really easy in England because we are an island. Mm. I do think the mm. physical psychology mm. makes us go, "Oh, it must be like they must be like us over there." Mm. Like it's like no, yeah, it's it's there's a when you're up against another country, there's mm. a difference. Same with us mm. with Scotland and Wales. We wouldn't absolutely, you know. absolutely. And I think also with the Jewish diaspora and the, the yeah. movement that's involved in that, it yeah. is uh, uh, such a matter of shared culture. Yeah. Um, and I often think of the end of World War Two as the kind of world map being shaken because then you have yeah. people moving to places as refugees um, that they never would have ended up in. So my family uh, moved from Hungary and ended up in Australia. You know, that was on nobody's wow. minds before yeah. the Holocaust. Uh, and then came to England. So you just have these these movements, uh, which I find really fascinating. Yeah, I think it's and it's that thing again of it's so easy. I just realised earlier it sounded like I was saying, and quite right, we think of ourselves as an island. <laughs> I don't think that. In case you, it's pretty obvious which way I voted. Um, because I think it's so easy to think. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I just think to to make history seem. Oh, that was ages ago. Absolutely. Like. To forget how connected mm. World War Two is to Brexit. Yes. Oh my God. Absolutely. Like, and yeah. when you looked uh, like just recently, the uh, UKIP members invading Bookmark's bookshop. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's there's just so many echoes today of the 1930s and 40s, and I think they are directly related. 
And it's all it's always about fear and not understanding. Yeah. Like it's just Yeah, so that's why again I found the book that you know, that classically great history novel where you're like, Oh, that happened in the past, but it's happening now. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it was amazing. Thank so you. speaking of your family, mm. in case people think we're doing like a front row <laughs> on each other. It's not that even though the book is amazing. Um, who are we remembering today? So uh, my grandfather, my grandfather's death was really the mm. beginning of the novel in, in many ways. Um, I was very fortunate to be very close with him all of my life. He was um, very much a father figure to me, really. Mm. Um, and he'd been ill for uh, over a year before he died. So I, I had warning, um, yeah, but yeah. I still... I was shocked by grief. I think mm. I was I was in a state of shock, you know, yeah. as if I hadn't had warning. Um, but maybe there's no warning you can have, really. So when did he die? How many years ago? So he died in 2011. Oh, okay. And it was it was a really strange time because my my granny Louie, his wife, his their third wife, passed away the summer of 2011. Um, and then he passed away in the autumn, so very quickly after her. Wow. And then... My aunt became very ill. Luckily, she was okay. And then I was uh, I diagnosed with arthritis. Um, so it was this. Oh it was this strange, very intense few months where yeah. my my whole sense of self and life changed yeah. in ways that I hadn't. Although, as I said, I had warning with him being ill in ways I hadn't really anticipated. Yeah, like, yeah. Fully. I think when you even said that about the map in Europe being shaped, like that's to me how I always describe grief mm. as someone's done the tablecloth trick. Yes, absolutely. So you're like, everything is the same, but everything's yeah. moved like an inch. Yes, yes. And people would look at it and say, oh, but your life's still the same. Yeah. And you're thinking, but don't, can't, can't you, you see? see? The glass was not <laughs> yeah. there and I did not yeah. move it. Yeah, so exactly. how is that okay? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what did he die of? Was it just old age or? Yeah, so, oh God, he was he was an ox of a man. It right. took so much to bring him down. He's right. very, very big, six foot four. Wow. Um, and very broad. And he, he had multiple strokes across the year. Um, I want to say, I think it was nearly 10. Wow. Um, and he just kept recovering. Yeah. Um, although he was telling us, I want to die, I want to die, just let me go. Oh, and then he'd recover again. I said, George, just <laughs> yeah. just stop getting better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are not doing this <laughs> yes. like, yeah. to annoy you. Yeah. Uh, and he lost his, you know, he lost movement, he lost speech. Um, it was uh, one really strange thing was he grew up in Bulgaria. Right. His, his family are British, but his, his father was a British politician in Bulgaria. So he was wow. born there and kind of raised by um, house staff. So he spent his younger years talking Bulgarian, really. Wow. Um, then they had to flee Bulgaria as the Nazis came. Uh, he was in Paris the night before it fell to the Nazis, and his, he was, I think, 12 years old. His mother thought it would be a good idea to take him to the Moulin Rouge because she thought it won't be there anymore. So <laughs> 12 years old, he goes to see, you know, the woman dancing in the Moulin Rouge. Oh my uh, God. And arrives in England, and he was responsible for his whole family. That is a that is a. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to judge her. It was in time of war, but that yes. is a bold choice, Absolutely. Mama. She was she was a bold lady. She yeah. was he he had to do quite a lot of taking care because that was wow. her idea of you know yeah. solid parenting. Um, so then they came to England. Then they came to England, and he had a really thick Bulgarian accent wow. at the school because of the time they thought he was stupid. Uh, oh, yeah, because yeah. he and there was uh, because he had an accent yeah. um, so then when he became ill and his strokes affected the speech centre in his brain he started to speak in these sort of very poetic metaphors you know he'd say when he could still speak properly he'd say to you oh I'm on the ramparts when you'd say how are you um, oh. so it was still kind of making sense and then he started to speak what sounded to us like m made up words we didn't really know and a nurse said to us, so, you know, how long was he in Bulgaria for? Did he come here recently? Oh, my God. Said, what do you mean? And she said, he's speaking fluent Bulgarian, which, as far as we knew, he couldn't do anymore because he hadn't done it since he was a child. So it just ignited that bit in his brain. This kind of past came back. I find that so crazy. Isn't that amazing? That's so yeah. insane. Yeah. Did you know what he was saying? Did she tell you? Well, she, yeah, luckily she was there to sort of translate for us. Wow. Um, and it was very strange because he was... In my life, this very towering figure, yeah, um, very big, uh, huge personality, very charming, very entertaining, always sort of throwing a party, always at the head of the table, yeah. Um, and then he was suddenly in this bed that he couldn't get out of, yeah. uh, and he couldn't really speak. And I just sit there reading him his his favorite poetry and trying to talk to him, keep him company, but he couldn't communicate anymore. And he was such a communicator; he was an actor. 
Um, oh, wow. And so his whole life was about communication yeah, yeah. and about performance. And then he couldn't couldn't really do either anymore. Um, but he was so gracious during it. There was something that really struck me that he was being absolutely reduced mm. and remained so gracious to everybody around him when it must have been sending him mad. God, yeah. It's so weird. I remember someone saying to me, um, they were asking me about when my dad was dying and they said, they were referring to when they had seen their dad and mm. said, oh, like, you know, to see, like, an old man or something. And I was like, well, because my dad was 44, mm. like, I I never had, like, oh, they're old. Yeah. But when he was sick in the bed, the thing that I said, like, again, big personality, mm. I'd just never seen him that still. Yes. And that's yes. what really shook me. I was like, what's that? I was like, oh, he's not moving. Yes. Like, he just, like, that animation. and animation. Yes. And be around the room and, like, you know, you just be like, oh, God, what's he doing? He's not sitting, like, <laughs> is he going to sit down? Is he going to go? Like, just this energy yes. about everything. And to just see someone lying there is very, like, yeah, I think it depends what your, um, what's the word, like, what your innate personality is mm. before you get sick. Yes. Like, if it is big and bold and loud, mm. It's the quiet that's suddenly like, oh my god! Like, yeah, that's how you know it's it's not great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. not great. So, exactly. were you with him when he died? I wasn't there. Um, my mum was there. My mum was holding his hand. And is that is that her mum? Is that yeah. her dad? Right. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. And uh, my auntie Sarah, she was there as well. So they sat with him. I just begun my MA. Right. So I was university. Um, it was a week in, <laughs> and oh, good. Uh, it was very peculiar because. I didn't, you know, it was all new people around me. And so nobody really knew me or knew what my relationship with him was. Yeah. So it was also the the weekend I was having my birthday party. Huh. <laughs> and you know when you're sort of in the immediacy of a shock like that, you just, well, I anyway, I just sort of carried on. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I still had the party. Yeah, of course, because so, <laughs> your feet are just yeah. walking in front of each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, and I'd have just invited everybody. So I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll just do that then. And all these strangers came to my house first week and it was supposed to be a sort of let's all get to know each other party. Yeah. And I remember this point about two in the morning dancing to Twist and Shout <laughs> and just feeling like I was leaving my body yeah. and I could see myself dancing and I was just floating above myself thinking, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, and it's really odd because we're a very big party family, love throwing parties. And that's I've grown up with that and grown up with the, you know, I'll host everybody and I'll you know make sure everyone's having a brilliant time and do the playlist and all of that stuff and then from that moment onwards for a long long time I didn't like parties anymore and Mm -hmm. I didn't like hosting and I didn't want people to come over even though George my my grandfather that had been so much part of his life Um, but I think just in that moment of of dancing and realising I shouldn't be doing this you know I think it's really it's so hard because I think we're so harsh on ourselves Mm. of what the correct reaction is yeah and I think, I mean, especially like I was 15, mm. so I spent a lot of time at parties thinking, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. And I know exactly what you mean mm. when you are, li- I used to be almost standing beside myself. Yes, That's how I felt. Exactly that. I was like next to myself going, what's that girl next to you Yes, doing? yes. And I'd be like, that's you. Yeah, like there's a sort of shadow version of yourself yeah. that people are interacting with and oh you're my thinking, God. can't people tell? Yeah. Um, and then I went, I remember I went into class the next day and said to people, oh, well, my, my grandfather's passed away and somebody said to me oh god you have to go to a funeral how boring and I, fuck and, you, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's what like, I want to say when people fuck you yeah. you don't know what you're talking yeah, about exactly. what is wrong with what yeah and I was thinking well you know I, I don't know what's going on in your life that's, yeah, that's yeah. fine if that's, that's, your, that's a much that's kinder version Kim. <laughs> that's why you're a nice person and I'm a comedian because I go fuck you <laughs> but, but yeah fuck you was how I was feeling um, and, I, and it was yeah exactly what you were saying about your feet just keep walking mm. I stayed on and I did the OMA, and in retrospect, I wish I had stopped. Wow. Um, although my novel uh, did begin there, and I'm glad for that, it was it was very difficult to to engage with those around me and to engage with what I was supposed to be doing yeah. while feeling like I was. Um, I felt like I was losing my mind, mm. to be honest. Yeah. And I and. That, it was very hard to articulate to people around me. I was really far away from my family as well. I was studying at UEA in Norwich, and my family were in Devon, so we're opposite sides of the country. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you've lost your root. You've lost your, yeah, you know, the yeah. people who keep you on the ground and go, "It's all right." Yes, you know. Yes, exactly. And I felt very, like my, as you were saying, the reality had so shifted. Um, and because he was an actor, 
you know, in the days afterwards, there he was on the radio and there he was on newspapers and oh there he was God. on the news. And and people were writing their sort of obituaries or their memory pieces. or And it felt a bit like they were kind of taking him away from me. I remember as well, there was one thing... Although again, like they didn't they didn't mean it in a harmful way at all. But I saw in the newspaper that there was a horse running in a race um, called Baker. My actor's name, my, my my grandfather's name's George Baker. Um, and the person writing about the sports that weekend did a joke. You know, there's Baker's running this weekend, but of course George Baker just died, so you know might not go that well or something like that. And I remember just feeling like, God, it, because he was public property to an extent. Yeah. I understand why you feel you can make that joke. But ow. But ow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like, sure, great copy, but yeah. ow, that yeah. hurts. Yeah. Um, we did an episode with Amy Hoggart, mm. whose dad was Simon Hoggart, who was, you know, broadcaster and mm. journalist and um, comedian. And and she said, I mean, obviously, there's a world I do not understand. And she said that, like, yeah, you know, when they were just sort of having those first couple of days, she turned mm. on the radio and they were playing old clips of him. Yeah. And on the news quiz and, and I was like I can't imagine how mm. bizarre that must be to not be in control of the memory yes like exactly I think that's that. really interesting because yeah. I am not in control of some of my memories because I'm as we say analogue griever <laughs> so 1998 is like you know I have photos that are difficult to find right so if I want to torture myself it's it's an effort mm. mm-hmm. whereas Amy said she can just YouTube her dad yeah just type it in yeah. so I think that's such a like you said the idea of somebody not quite being yours yes I think you know that and like I think inverted commas normal people <laughs> um like you know that your dad or your grandfather's like mm. you know when people start talk, telling you at funerals yeah. they'll tell you stuff and you're like oh that's not the person i knew yes yeah. but you must it must be so magnified that like mm. there was another version of them yeah i remember at a so we had the funeral itself which was actually wonderful it was a, it was a brilliant party which was very <laughs> fitting for him um and then we had a memorial kind of actor's memorial and an actor came up to me and said to me so how are you connected to george <gasps> Oh my god! And I just felt this huge surge of anger. Yeah, yeah. He was my grandfather. I just, I just went. He was mine. What are you, you know? Yeah. How are you, you doing? How are you connected? To <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why exactly. are you here? Exactly. And I remember my uncle telling my uncle, you know, this has just happened. I felt really angry, and him saying to me, instead of laughing, me, oh well, play up, play up, and play the game. And and just feeling like I don't want to. No. I don't have the energy to play. I know. I I just want to be left alone. I think also that get like playing the game. I'm not. I'm really bad at playing the game. Mm. Like as soon as I sense the game, mm. I'm like, I'm not fucking playing. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Exactly. Oh, is that what you're doing? I'm not yeah. going to do it. Yeah. So, um, what's the word? Contrarian, obtuse, and <laughs> deeply unhelpful in many situations. But I think there has to be. Do you know? I wonder if it's about being vulnerable because mm. if you have to be quite tough to be like, sure, let's play the game for this yeah. this time, and and you know, like yeah. it's that's quite hard when you're like, I don't feel like I have the strength to pretend to be a person right now like, yes yes you know. exactly and because as well he was so tied into my sense of myself as a person yeah. um, because he was very he's he was a brilliant grandfather and I think he put a lot of energy into it I think there were some things about his his younger years and maybe his parenting that he would have changed mm. um, and I think he worked on that with his grandkids <laughs> yeah uh, so we were very fortunate in that so he loved poetry he loved literature and for me, I was incredibly bored at school. I was always frustrated at school. I was always the person who sort of finished first and then was told to wait mm. um, while other people, uh, you know, got on with it. Um, which was fair enough from my teacher's perspective, you know. Uh, sure. but, yeah. but for me, it was deeply maddening. Uh, and he was always wanting to introduce me to new poetry and expand what I was reading and kind of provide for me in a way what school wasn't yeah, providing yeah. for me. Um, I remember there was one for A-level... Uh, English language A level. The coursework was to write a textbook, and it was supposed to show that oh you my could God, write. I'm already. I know. I know. Right. <laughs> a textbook. Great. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so it's to show that you could do instructional writing. Okay. Uh, so I decided that what I would do would be to write a textbook, the history of English literature across the world. This is this is how I made life difficult for myself. Nice at the and time. easy. Yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> That'll so. take me five minutes. I can do that. You don't want to write how to set up a table? Then? Yeah. If someone else is doing just table. I think that was what they wanted. Yeah. No, 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 no. no I got this, guys. I got this. Yeah, I got yeah. something better. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, yeah. Trust me, it'll be really fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so I was staying the weekend at George's house and I said to him, oh, I'm thinking of writing um, maybe about how... Uh, 
you know, assimilation literature, maybe how that worked in French and English colonies, and, you know, had all these different ideas. He was nodding away. And then he said, well, darling, the thing is, you don't want to be facetious. <laughs> I remember thinking, I don't know what facetious means, yeah. but I'll agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to be facetious. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah. Okay, sure. And he said, right, so we're going to sit down. We're going to do it properly. Okay. So he had the most amazing book collection. He was yeah. entirely self-educated because wow. at school they had thought that he was yeah, unintelligent yeah. and he'd left very young. Entirely self-educated. We sat down with all of his poetry books, uh, all, you know, his huge novel collection. Um, and he just told me the history of literature uh, from beginning to end. Wow. Uh, and it was just phenomenal. And so his encouragement and his belief yeah. in me as a writer was so bound up with my identity that then when he... Uh, I was about to say when he left, <laughs> when he wasn't there anymore. <laughs> um, it was like this fundamental crack down the middle mm. of me because he was somebody, and it was really crucial that it was a man because he was one of the few men in my life when I was growing up. He was a man who saw me for me and thought I didn't need to change or do anything yeah. differently. I wasn't, I remember actually that English language A-level teacher. In a note from her to another teacher, which crossed my path and shouldn't have. And it said, Kim Sherwood's being difficult again <laughs> because I was doing this project. Um, but he didn't think I was difficult. Yeah. And he didn't think I was wrong in any way, in any part of me. And that was, as a teenager, when you think you're wrong in so many ways. Yeah. That was so fundamental. God, yeah, and to not be treated like, like you said, I know exactly, we sound quite similar at school. <laughs> it was like I was consciously making a problem mm -hmm. rather mm -hmm. than like, no, no, I thought this would be more interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to but what, learn. Yeah, I'm just trying to learn. <laughs> but what you, I think it's taken me ages to realise as an adult is what you're saying to an, what, as a teenager, you're saying mm. to another adult is, but what you've said is boring. Yeah. Yeah, but you don't. You're like, yeah, but I thought you knew that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's boring, right? And you're like, they thought it was interesting. Yeah, but what you've yeah, and they're busy it, and stressed, yeah, and they're like, and can't you just be like everyone yeah, else? Yeah, you've said <laughs> it's boring, which they know. Somewhere they know that. Mm. And not only have you said it's boring, you produce something more interesting. Mm. So now everyone in the class thinks it's boring. So your <laughs> one move has, and it is. You go. You didn't have yeah. to do that. You're like, but as a teenager, you're like, I don't know any other way. Yes. I yes. wish. I. I wish. I wish. Yes. Trust me. Wish I could be like Sarah Guy over there. Yeah, doing yeah, every yeah. single thing she's supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. And so or not care and just not do the yeah. not want to learn. But I just, you know, I was desperate to get to university in many ways because I thought there there would be you know, people who <laughs> love learning. Turned out differently, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In some ways, but he was just so supportive always, and also very much around. Um, so I've always had short hair, um, and I've always, you know, when I was younger, certainly looked like a boy. Um, or like a tiny monk at times because <laughs> I shaved my head. Uh, and lots of people thought I was a boy uh, and they mistake me for a boy. And then when it turned out I, I wasn't, people would you know, sometimes throw rocks at me at once. Um, so there was that going on at the, at the same time. Yeah. Great fun, yeah. great fun. Oh, and again, you could say making life difficult for myself, yeah, but I thought, yeah. why shouldn't I be able to have short hair? Why does it have to yeah. be and dress like a boy, whatever that means? Why does it have to be a problem to anybody? And George, who was this very sort of charming, debonair man who'd had um, sort of quite the love life in his time um, and was very glamorous in my eyes in many ways, he would always say, but you're so beautiful, darling. Don't worry about any of that. And, you know, with your short hair and wearing your Arsenal kit, you're so beautiful. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter. And that meant so much to me. Yeah. Again, to have, a, to have, because I've got, I should say, a brilliant mum yeah, who yeah. let me shave my head when I wanted to and let me, you know, write textbooks about the history of English literature when I wanted to. Um, but I didn't really have many men in my life. Yeah. So he was that male figure who was saying to me, you are more than good enough just the way you are. And then to lose that, I was, I was bereft of that. Mm. It's really interesting. You made me think about so many things. <laughs> my dad used to say to me almost every day that he loved me and mm. that he was proud of me. And he used to say things like, um, like brain the size of a planet. Or mm -hmm. like one of his brain the size of a planet. Wait, and he used to click his fingers at me. Where are you going? And I had to say Cambridge. <laughs> I didn't even know what Cambridge was. <laughs> FYI, I did not go to Cambridge because <laughs> I think I did it to piss him off. Um, but like very, like when I say, it's funny because like when I try and describe that we had a difficult relationship or mm. like he was difficult, it was not about like there was you know it wasn't as simple as like oh mm. he didn't tell me he loved me it's like no 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 like almost every day to the point it was boring like yeah. the relationship was I'd roll my eyes and be like oh yeah fine he's like yeah I'm so proud of you I'd be like yeah I know mm. you tell me every day <laughs> because I you know you don't know how to react yeah and I think I found yeah what you're saying is really I find really um, resonating because 
when he died, something in me was like, it's really hard to describe. It was like, oh, was he lying? Mm. Because he's not here to say it. He's not here to say it. And even though I can see what he was trying to do mm. was like, I'm being so encouraging, but I was like, but you did it every day and you made it like part of my, my breathing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do it, I don't know how to do it. Yes. You didn't sort of encourage me to do it. Mm. You just told me like that was the truth. Yes. So you're the, you're the God, you're the son in this world that tells me the truth every day. Yes. But when you've gone, I don't know how yes. to do it. And left in darkness. Yeah. And I found that really, there was part of me that was so... Again, grief's so complicated, but like, mm. I was angry for very many reasons. Mm. I was so angry that he wasn't there yes. saying nice things anymore. Yes. Because it was like, you took something that, mm. but then it takes years to go, but I'm glad I had that. Yeah. But yeah. at the time, it just feels like, well, what do I, yeah, yeah like you said, who am I if you're yes. not telling me who I am? Yes, and who's left in a way to tell yeah. me. Um, yeah. And it's strange, now the novel's come out, I always imagined that when I wrote my first novel, you know, I'd take it to him and yeah. I'd say, look, you yeah, you were right, I could yeah, do it. Yeah. And, I, and I did do it. Um, and this one, I wrote because of him. Yeah. Uh, but I can't give to him. And that's it's, uh, very difficult to to have to logically accept. Mm. You know, he's, he's not going to put his arms around me and say, oh, well done, darling. Really proud of you. That's not going to happen. And do you think there's a part of you that that's why you did that book? Like you're almost still like I sometimes I'm still looking for mm. him to say well done. Mm. So it's yes. like I'm still doing things that I think oh he would have you know that would yeah. have been good. And, like and I have I think part of my identity is based around would well George would have approved. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so it's okay in a way it gives me permission to do something. Like, yeah. Um, for, I always think about for his seventy fifth birthday, we were celebrating at um, the Groucho or the Garrick Club can't remember which um but it's sort of the actors club club. (laughs) yeah the actors club uh but it's an all-male club um and they have one room that they'll let women in Uh, welcome to 20th century guys oh so george great lover of women in his life three wives and many others besides uh and five daughters and granddaughters he was you know he wanted to have it in his club where his friends were but he said okay i'll have it in the, the women's room um and the wine was flowing lots of celebration and on the way in, I'd been told, you can be in this room, but you can't go up the main staircase. That's the male staircase. And there's a staircase around the back for women if you need to go <laughs> Trade upstairs. entrance. Yeah. Yeah, um, my God. So I waited to the point in the evening where everybody had sort of drunk enough fine wine not to notice me yeah. s- sneak away. And I thought, I'm going to go up the main staircase. Yeah, fuck those guys. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I was going up the staircase, sort of, you know, step by step, thinking, what wonders wait for me at the top? Yeah, it's got to yeah. be something good, or why are they keeping me from the staircase? Uh, and then this sort of man dressed like a butler came down and sort of coughed politely and said, <laughs> ma'am, you're not supposed to be here. This is the uh, this is the male-only staircase. So I prepared my sort of, oh, sorry, I didn't realise. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, and then from behind me, my grandfather's voice bellowing my granddaughter can do whatever the fuck she likes <laughs> <laughs> and oh i turned around and he was leaning against the banister at the bottom he'd been watching me do it um and i often think about that when i'm nervous or i'm not sure can i do this do wow. i have this in me i overthink my granddaughter can do, can do whatever the fuck, fuck she, she likes, likes. <laughs> that's amazing yeah what an amazing Thing to shout, mm, uh, yeah, brilliant. I felt slightly sorry for the butler yeah, man, sure, who yeah, looked yeah. terrified. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's just my job. Yeah, yeah but check your rules, buddy. Yeah, exactly. What are you, what system are you carrying on? This is how the patriarchy survives. Um, that's amazing. God, yeah. that what an amazing like war cry to have in your head. Mm. Yeah, and it has really stayed with me. And I feel like he's been with me through this publishing process. Yeah, yeah. Um, Little odd moments have occurred. Really? So when I uh, won the Bath Novel Award in 2016, the judge was Sue Armstrong, who became my agent. And she's at the Conville and Walsh Agency, uh, which is run by Claire Conville, whose father used to run the open-air theatre in Regent's Park, where George used to act, and where my mum worked in catering, and everybody I know worked in catering. So wow. as a child, I'd run around there. Yeah. Um, so... My mum and Claire used to work together on the bar when they were, like, 16. Wow. Um, so that was funny to have... So, so David Conwell, Claire's father, was a really good friend of George, was visiting him in the hospital wow. at the end. 
so when I joined them, I felt almost like I had George's permission. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and then when I signed my book deal with River Run, there was this really strange moment. We were in the kind of pitch meeting where they were telling me ha- what their vision yeah. for the book would be. And one of the editors said to me, oh, by the way, we're working on a kind of memoir at the moment. Um, and in this book, the writer notes that George Baker uh, lent him a cookery book once that set him off on cooking and he never gave it back. And he's been meaning to and wonders if he could give it to the family. And is George Baker your grandfather? Yes. So, yeah, sure, oh I'll take God. that book and give it to my mum. So it's just this weird moment. I felt like George was... He used to bang on the table very emphatically to yeah. make points. I felt like he was banging on the table going, sign with these people, Kim. <laughs> going, OK, George, I will. Also, <laughs> get me my bloody book yes, back. exactly. <laughs> About bloody times. <laughs> like, for decades now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I know... Oh, that's nice when you have those moments, mm. especially with creative stuff. When I think because so much creative stuff is very terrifying, yeah. and there's not a right and wrong. It's just like there's only the consequences yes. of this choice. Yes, and people always say, "Go with your gut." Oh my god, what the and fuck? it's, it's what like, is my gut saying? Yeah, I don't it's know. like I don't know. I mean, my gut's yeah. in turmoil. What do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'm literally guys. It's full on anxiety. <laughs> yes, yes. My gut is saying you're probably going to make the wrong decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh god, like, gosh, like it's not trained. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. So when you were writing this book, I mean, how much is the grandfather character based on your, is it kind of? So there are aspects of him that I have liberally stolen from George's <clears throat> life. Right. Um, there are aspects of him that are very different, yeah. of course. But um, certainly the, um, so Silk, the grandfather character in the book, is very charming. Mm. He's a great storyteller. He very much commands the room. Um, and... He uh, is very loving, and at points that can get him into trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so my my granddad, I, he, I don't think he'd mind, would have minded me saying this. He wrote about it in his memoir. He was sort of having affairs with Bridget Bardot, and you know he was he was getting himself into trouble a lot as a younger <laughs> man. Um, and I I thought about that a lot because I thought about how my love for George was very uncomplicated and mm. straightforward and unconditional and so was his for me but I knew that there were things that he'd done in his life that hurt people I also loved straightforwardly and absolutely Um, and particularly some of the women in his life and so that's very hard to balance Um, and of course good people behave badly Um, it's just you know people aren't black and white uh, simple one way or another but I thought a lot about that about how, how can I how can I almost balance my all-encompassing, unconditional love yeah. with actually did some things that what would he regretted and mm. which are are to be regretted? And did you, when you were writing it, and I guess you were still grieving, like how did you? I get I get asked this a lot of like, oh, you know, how do you, you're talking about your dad and he's not like, how did you balance it in your head? Like, did you feel was there a part of you thinking? 
should I be writing? Like, did you mm. feel guilty? Mm. Or? There were a couple of things where I wrote them and then read over them, realised where they'd come from uh, <laughs> and yeah. would say to my mum, is this, is this okay? Yeah. Um, that I've put, you know, no one will ever know that this particular aspect but is from him. Know, but, yeah. but yeah, is it okay? Um, and my mum, my mum's very creative herself and I think was always aware that I was articulating my love for him, my relationship with him, the loss of him. It was very, that there were so many strands to what I was doing and however it came out, in a way that had to be okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Not that you, I have a writer friend who says you have to, crucify your family for art oh, which I feel is is it a man? a bit extreme yes mm. yes indeed mm. <laughs> I just that any of this idea that an artist has to be tortured that yes, everything yes, yes. has to be destroyed I just think and I don't oh, people get, get annoyed with me saying this but it's like we do live in a patriarchy we do mm. live in a world mm. where men have written a the lot rules. of history and okay hashtag not all men I'm with you <laughs> but um, the idea of dis- yeah the idea of art meaning Destroying, I think, yes. is an interesting, yes. I, an old-fashioned idea. And actually. how much of an excuse is it that you've destroyed something, and then you, so then it's handy that you can say it was for your art. Exactly, if you look at, yeah. um, have you seen Nanette? I was just about to bring that up. Yeah, I yeah. loved her section on Picasso. It was and incredible, it, amazing, and it's so. If you haven't seen it, that is Hannah Gadsby's stand-up special on Netflix, which is kind of deconstructs every single, mm. you know, art for art's sake bullshit yes. that comes from. And it yeah. really encapsulated for me what I found troubling about the Picasso exhibition at the Tate, mm. um, where they were talking about his uh, leaving his wife and affairs with younger women and getting women pregnant and leaving them. And all, and, and it's called, uh, the exhibition has the word tragedy in the title. And it just made me think, tragedy for who? Yeah. Because you're framing it like it was his tragedy, but he was effectively destroying these people's lives and I'm mm. sure it was difficult for him too but yeah. but nobody was m- making him yeah um and we're kind of celebrating it yeah we're celebrating it because like as Hannah says that you get the art at the end yes yes rather than thinking about as people have raised so much you don't get the art of those women that were destroyed no by him. no or their voices yeah uh, and so and I think for a lot of that kind of destructive behavior the excuse is oh well it's all part of my process mm. well no it's part of you uh treating other people as if they're not human yeah your process is something else and if the two are entangled um let's talk about that but that's yeah. a shame yeah yeah <laughs> and i think because i have it with this show as well of like i can only tell my side of the story mm. but of course we all know as anyone who does anything creative you know you could crucify people or not. Mm. Yes. And I think yes, like, we choice. all know that sentence before you say something in your head of thinking, mm. you know, I mean, I could literally say what actually happened here, mm. but mm, that wouldn't be very fair to X, Y, and Z who are still living. Yes. So I think you can definitely, like, I've had, who was it? I can't remember, somebody was a bit funny about something I wrote about my dad recently. Mm. And I was like, look, that's the perspective of a daughter on mm. his life. You mm. might have a very different perspective of, you know, of him as a friend. Sure. Yes. And I would never challenge you on that. I challenge you, and like, if you said how he was as a dad, yes. he wasn't your dad. Yes, and yes. it's a very unique perspective that I have. Absolutely. So I think, like, yeah, it, it's it's hard because the endless thing when you use grief in your art mm. is that you're having a conversation with someone who's not there. Yes. So everyone can fill in the blanks. We yes. can. I'm filling in the blanks for my dad, and then yes. other people can be like, "Well, we disagree," and it's just the one person in the room who and people are so fucking fickle we can all think <laughs> oh he would have done this yeah. who knows on the fucking day yeah. he might have gone no actually I don't care like, yes. yes and that's what I was trying to think about as well with the, the character of Silk because he's this eminent artist everybody around him trying to analyse him all the time and yeah. work out what his paintings mean and work out the truth to everything and he's very resistant to that yeah. um, because he doesn't want to be boxed but also because he, he, he feels I'm not that complicated um, yeah. Just, just let me be. Um, and and I, I thought about that a lot. This, the sense of wanting to pin something down, wanting to define something and make it settled and fixed. And that's often, I think, because we want to hold on to it and we, we miss it um, yeah. if it's gone. And part of what you're saying about the conversation, I think, part of writing Testament was trying to have a conversation with George and yeah. and, and being aware that I was attempting to recover him, and that I never would be able to. Yeah. So it was always going to be a, a one-sided conversation. I think that's that's really interesting because it's like to just be aware of like yes, everything I'm doing is about piecing someone back mm. together, mm. but I'm fully aware I do not have all the jigsaw pieces. Yes, I will never do this. Yes, that's why I'm doing it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, because 
it's like being with them somehow. Yes. It's like remembering or some Yeah, and it was a way to feel um, like I could have some bearings. Um, yeah. Because I felt so lost and I remember there was one afternoon I tried to he's in a few James Bond films and I tried to watch one of the films he's in wow. a few weeks after he died and as soon as he came on the screen I turned it off yeah um, and just started howling with tears yeah. um, and people around me were trying to comfort me and I and I didn't know how to explain to them it's just that this loss has made me feel like I am so lost mm. that I feel like I'm not in charge of my mind anymore yeah and it's terrifying. Yeah. And I didn't expect it. And I didn't know what to do about it. And this was, your, I'm guessing, like your first big grief. Then. Yeah. So my, because my granny Louie had died a few months earlier. Yeah. Um, but there was, I think, a few differences. She had been ill in a different way. So she had had Alzheimer's for a long time. Right. So the granny Louie that I knew had in some ways been gone for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also I wasn't directly involved in almost like the cleanup after the death. Right. Her son, who's my step-uncle or something. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he kind of did some of that stuff, but I wasn't as directly involved. Whereas when George died, I was helping box up his books and go through his computer and wow. do we want these files anymore and, you know, what should we do with these photographs and all of those, the strange practicalities of death. Yeah. So I, I, and I wanted to be involved in it in that way, um, but I think it also, I was dismantling somebody's life because he was never going to come back and pick it up again. Yeah. Um, and I became, I also then started to research the Holocaust for my novel because my, my grandmother on the other side of the family who's still living, who's a Holocaust survivor, right. she at that time started to tell me her childhood memories wow. for the first time ever. So it, that's where the sort of, the the research came from for the novel, although it's not her life because that's hers to tell. Mm. It sort of grew from those seeds. But it meant that I was, and I'm sure I did this unconsciously for a reason, but it meant that I was reading about death and writing about death on a mass scale all the time Mm. and missing George. Um, And so I just was thinking about death all the time. Welcome to my world. Yeah, (laughs) and I remember saying to somebody, I don't know, it's just, I just can't stop thinking about death. And they said, oh, why do you think that is? <laughs> so I was like, oh, oh, I see. Uh, like, yeah, uh, I guess reading about the Holocaust yeah, does. Yeah. <laughs> it brings it up a little, yeah. you know. It's kind and of then present. it was just everywhere. Like, yeah. my my relief at the time was watching Star Trek. I thought, okay, I'll go to a utopia. Yeah. That's got to cheer me up. Yeah. No. Then there was the... There's Star a, Trek is pretty... It's basically about what's happening now. Yes, That's always yes. what it's about. And there's a, there's a particular um, sort of three or four episodes in Star Trek Voyager where there are these aliens who just dress up as SS officers. So I'm watching Star Trek for some relief, you know, taking a break from the writing. Okay, I'll watch some nice utopia. No, no, it's just everywhere. Can I recommend comedy to you, Kim? Yes. Like, when that is literally all I will watch. I mean, Hannah Gadsby's Nanette is not a cheer-upper, but it is Mm. amazing. Amazing. But it's cheer-up in a different way. But, like, the American office, my friend, Mm -hmm. it is just so funny and silly. (laughs) You need, like, pure laughter when this is what you're dealing with. Yes. Because you just need your brain to be like, and nothing is happening for 30 minutes. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, did you find that the writing the book in, like you keep saying like you felt lost, did the writing the book somehow you found yourself without using a terrible cliche? (laughs) Uh, In many ways, yes. Yeah. Um, Found myself or at least uh, reconciled with the fact that some things couldn't be found again and would would always be altered. Yeah, I guess that's it, isn't it? Because you feel lost, but it's not that you're lost, it's that everything has changed. Yes, and that you're now different. Yes. So you're, you're grieving, um, my therapist always says, like, you're grieving the old you mm. that didn't know about this. Yeah. But if that feels like, like, as if you've had a new haircut and you're like, oh, yes. oh I look really different. Like, what's yes. happened? I don't know this person. And so you're just so obsessed with, oh, well, I don't know this person. Mm. I'm going, this is how, this is who you are now. Yes. And people kind of, that thing of, oh, well, time heals all wounds. Mm. Um, <laughs> maybe that's true to that. I don't know. But um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. It doesn't seem to be. No. People in their 80s aren't like, yes. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All the time, just and it went away. Everything yes. just went. Yeah. But how I sort of turned that into because people would say it to me. How I turned it, I think they were worried about me because yeah, I was yeah. evidently. Uh, I was I was going off a bit. Yeah. <laughs> into my own world. Um, the way I thought about it that could be helpful was okay. Well, you have this wound and it feels gaping and debilitating, and like you can't even get up. And then slowly it will scar over. Yeah. Um, 
And then you're a new you with scars, and scars can be uncomfortable and ache and itch, mm. and you still notice them. And sometimes you might forget that they're there, but then you catch them in a mirror and realize, oh God, I do look very different now. I mm. am very different now. Yeah. And that that idea has helped me in a sense because I I feel like it's not that there's something wrong with me. Yeah, yeah. It's just I've got these scars now. I'm different now. Yeah, I think it, it's so hard because you're especially when it's a big loss you're grieving for the loss of a person and then you slowly realise, oh, I'm also grieving for myself mm. and my life and everything. That, and you're like, well, that's fucking a lot of fucking loss right now. Yes. I don't want to deal with this. And it's, yeah, yeah it's really... That's why I, f- I get really angry about the... Um, get on my high horse, but sometimes, <laughs> like, you know, Time Heals or the other one that I've been getting lately, which makes me want to punch people, is, um, <laughs> you know, grief is just love with nowhere to go. What? Yeah, that's a new one that's memeing its way around to me. Come and apologies on. if you've tweeted it to me. Because I feel like, <laughs> look, I know where you're coming from. I get it. But to me, mm. what what diminish, what makes me angry with, with is whenever somebody tries to make something binary. Mm. So it's like, grief is X yes. and X equals Y. It's time. You just need yeah. time over feelings and yeah. you'll eventually forget these things. It's like, it's such it's such a mess. Grief yes. is a fucking mess. And when you look at someone's house you have to sort out mm. and you think, Jesus Christ, this is a mess. Mm. That's what grief is. Yes. That, that's why people find the house hard because it's the same as their own emotions. Yes. It's like, I've got all these fucking books. I've got all these fucking emotions to deal with. Like this is, and every bit of you is like, everything's too much. I want yes. it all to go away. Yes. I want to close the door on it including my emotions absolutely and get away from myself somehow. yeah and that was something that writing can help with because yeah. you can put yourself into other into other worlds other characters um but it was something i really struggled with i remember it sort of being really the only time in my life where i wished that i was somebody who like i don't know took hallucinogenics and went to raves <laughs> or something yeah. i was like why didn't i i had my punk phase too early and i was about 10 i shaved my head had my punk phase right. should have had that later uh, i don't because i was you know, like I said, my friends were taking drugs and drinking, mm. and I was like, "Oh, I think there's another me that would drink herself into oblivion." Mm. But that was what I wanted to be able yeah, to do. I just couldn't. I but I, failed. Yeah. Mm. And also, I don't know. I don't know. I think everyone deals with it differently. But mm. my thing was like, how as if as if alcohol would make this go. Well, away. exactly. Yeah, I wanted to be able to do it in the sense of I wanted to be able to escape my body yeah, and my yeah. mind. But I knew that wouldn't help. That's. I think the thing is like when I would see people doing it, or you know, as I got older and I'd see people. <laughs> Not that everyone is drinking has a drinking problem, <laughs> but like you can sometimes see your friend mm. using it unhealthily. Mm. And I think, does that work? Because mm. this never goes away. Yes. This pain is like, I carry it with me. So really you're telling me that if I take this pill or drink that much wine, it'll go away. Because yeah. every time I try, it's louder. Yes. <laughs> it's just louder. Yes. Because I'm like, oh, why am I so sorry? It's that. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, Don't come the walls. Yeah. Whereas again, you know, we all deal with it differently. I very much am <laughs> a sort of high functioning workaholic. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, great. If I work mm. constantly, I can't think of anything yeah. sad because I'm too tired. Absolutely. And that's what I, I d- was doing, I think, by staying on the MA. Yeah, I was yeah. like, it's fine, it's fine. It. I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going. Yeah. Um, and I wish that somebody there had caught me and said, yeah. maybe s- stop. My family were, mm. um, but but you, you know, you can rationalize your family. You could <laughs> yeah. be like, no, no, they're just concerned for me. Yeah. But then it just but you think, well, yes. Yeah, what, they were concerned. Why for didn't you, you listen yeah, to yeah. that? <laughs> they're just worried about me. Yeah, yeah. That's so true. You're like they're just worried, and you're like, yeah, why are they <laughs> That's worried? Probably for a reason. I'm acting crazy. <laughs> Why are you acting crazy? Because I'm deeply unhappy. Anyway, I don't know why everyone's looking at me. Yeah, exactly. I'm, and I'm doing well. Yeah. yeah. And I'm still how much I'm smiling. Yeah. Yeah, too much. It's weird. All right, I'll I'll do a bit less. I'll act yeah. like a human. Yeah, yeah, it's so it's funny though, because I always think that with like, um, oh, I wish like you said, if your family couldn't stop you, if mm. a teacher had said yeah. to you <laughs> made no difference. Yeah. Cause I I say that, oh like if someone at school had done this or done this, I think mm. I don't know if I'd have listened. I don't mm. know. Because I also think there's something about, like you said, like filling your brain with something. Yes. So the MA f- allowed you to just be yes. distracted and even though, and I also think we don't live in a society where it's possible. Mm. Like because we don't talk about it and it's not given mm. the space that it, I think it deserves. Yeah. If you had said to people, I'm going to take a year off to really grieve, they'd mm. be like, what? Yeah. Is that healthy? Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Kim's having a breakdown. Yeah, exactly. And then my other obsession that when you have a baby and people are mm. like take some time relax get you your world has changed you know this is a really big thing yeah. don't, and a lot of people are, you know I went back to work very quickly because mm. I'm a high functioning workaholic <laughs> um, but I, I think with deaf it's 
like you said, people only give you so much space. Mm. Did you find as well because it was your grandpa that yeah. people were a bit like, yeah, she's she's still yeah, sad. Yeah, yeah. I think people people who didn't know me that well, yeah, they gave me a few weeks where they were really nice, yeah. and then they were like. <laughs> Okay, why is she still? Yeah, like, like why is she not coming out and yeah. partying? And you know, why is she not being as sociable as she seemed to be before? And yeah, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. Remember one person saying to me, <laughs> "Yeah, one of those observations where you feel like could have lived without that." One person who I'd met on the MA saying to me, um, "When I first met you, you were really sociable and you were coming out all the time, and now you just don't." It was just a silence. <laughs> Thanks. Do you think again? It's like, do you think there might be a reason? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think? Thanks for what, what do you think the reason could be? Because yeah. I think I've told you that I'm someone yeah. I love died. Yeah, but because you know, not everybody's that close with their no, grandparents. I know. Um, and relationships are always different, and context matters. Uh, so some people, yeah. I think, don't don't really get what it can mean. I think we're all very guilty of, and I, it's a hu- totally sort of rational human thing to do, of being like, oh, well, my relationship is like this. Mm. Therefore, I'm imagining yours is exactly the same. Yes. Yeah, and my grandpa was this, like, huge figure in my mm. life. Very dominant, like, more dominant than my dad in some ways, which, mm. you know, might be some of the problems. Mm. And um, he died six months after my dad. So oh, I think, wow. in a way... It, I'm growing up thinking, God, what will I do if Grandpa ever goes? Yeah. And then it was like, oh, I don't, okay, gone. <laughs> yes. My dad just died. So yes. when he died, it was like, okay, it was just one more thing on the pile. And I yes. almost didn't, I almost, yeah, couldn't quite process. They kind of got mixed in together because mm. it was like, well. And so close to each other as well. Yeah, and they, yeah, they were very close, literally. Mm. Yeah. And then close in death. And yeah, my grandpa basically said, well, I mean, this is my memory of it he was like yeah, I don't I don't want to be here so he mm. died he yeah. didn't kill himself he just literally was like no, my yeah. body's not having it thank you very much yeah. without my son here I think in some ways George was similar because he'd been ill for so long yeah. my granny Louie was ill too they were in homes um, and then when she died he couldn't come to the funeral because oh. he couldn't get out of bed and I think that was such a heartbreak yeah. additionally you know that he couldn't go and perform the thing he was supposed to perform yeah um and he died a few months after her. And, and I do think there was a sense of release and a sense of following her. I mean, I'm very aware that, that after he died, I was obsessively looking for signs yeah, all the time. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, but... <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yes. I'm here if you guys want to, like, yeah, say exactly, anything. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Silence. Yeah. But I remember going for this beautiful walk with my mum on Salisbury Plains, which is where they had lived and where they, George and Louis, had loved walking. And we were walking across this kind of valley and we saw a deer run out of the woods and down the field and stop and then stare and look at us and and then keep running. And then another deer appeared from the woods, ran down and followed. Um, and it was an amazing moment because it felt like that, that was what had happened, that, yeah. that George had followed. And why not? Yeah, yeah exactly. The thing, <laughs> is, the thing is, like, if you want to be... I'm not I'm not religious myself. Mm. Um, I can imagine that there's great comfort in, in oh, being yes. religious. Oh, lovely. <laughs> uh, because you're perhaps provided with a narrative structure yeah. to compute what's happening. Mm. In some ways, my writing, while I was trying to give myself a narrative structure around something that was uncontainable and without narrative, but also looking for signs like that and, and always, you know, if the smallest thing happened. Oh, George would have, George yeah. would have said this. Or George would, oh, that's so funny because, and you know, the thing with my agency and then my publisher feeling like, oh, it's George saying something. Yeah. If it is or it isn't, in a way, it doesn't matter it, it, because it yeah, is I mean, part of like, my conversation yeah, with him. Does it work? Is yeah. it making you feel better? Great. Exactly. Like, exactly. <laughs> then watch another episode of The American Office. Yes. Fine. I think that's so interesting. I've talked about that a lot in the show of like the obsession with narrative. And I think writers, you know, whether it's, you know, comedians or performers mm. or novel writers, it's trying to control the uncontrollable. Yes. And I think. I, I'm always trying to put a narrative because my ending was taken away. Yeah. And so it's like, you're just constantly being, it's like, it's so weird, isn't it? It's like, it's like someone's telling you a story and the ending disappeared. So mm. you're like, okay, guys, I got it. I got it. Yeah. I, I'm going to, um, okay, I've got the character. I think I yes. know what happens. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> this is what happens. I can finish this script. I can finish the script. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's because, like you said, it's that sense of chaos mm. that we just, we spend so much of our everyday life mm. ignoring the chaos. Yes. And being like, and no, just carrying on. life is fine. We get up at this time, we go to bed at this yes. time, we eat these things and actually everything's in control. Yes. Whereas if you like lift the carpet over the slight bit, you're like, shit, there's mm. f- it's messy down here. Yes. <laughs> it's really bad, guys. <laughs> we, should, we should do something about that. Yeah. And I think, yeah, death is such a... Um, 
yeah, it's like, oh, this sounds so like lame. I'm so bad. I'm so great at shit metaphors. But it's like, <laughs> death is like, it does tap you on the shoulder and be like, mm. uh, this is what's actually happening. Yes. Your yes. whole life has been building up to your death. Yeah. But you've been acting like your lunch was important. Yes. And you're like, <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. What? Exactly. And I think partly what creating something can do is give you shape and form yeah. so that you can point to it and say, look, look at that chaos. Yeah. Um, I was really struck by on Silbury Hill by Adam Thorpe. And he says that uh, in Inuit cultures, there was a, a tradition of walking out from the homes with a stick and walking a really, really long way and then planting the stick to show how great your anger or how great your bereavement or how great wow. your uh, love might be to show the scale of the emotion. It's here, I plant it here. <laughs> And I loved that idea because... That's amazing because, I mean, sometimes I'm so angry I would walk a long yes, way yeah, to be yeah, like, yeah. that's how fucking angry yes, I am. <laughs> yes, You can't even see me anymore. Five tube I'm stops and I've walked it. <laughs> yes. Like, oh my, like, yeah, God. I'm in zone six. Exactly. Angry I am, guys. <laughs> that's amazing. I love it. Like, literally, like, an actual visual metaphor. Yes, yeah. And I really loved that it gives physicality to the feeling. Yeah. And, and that's something that... Uh, writing a book or performing stand-up or painting something can do. It gives physicality to something that otherwise can feel like it's beyond speech, mm. it's it's beyond tangibility, uh, and it's invisible. And then you make it concrete and you say to people, look, here it is. Mm. However broken or not, here's my narrative. Yeah, Here's my embodiment of what I'm going through. And it's so fascinating to me that you're like... I mean, great cliches that out of death comes life comes yeah. something else and you're right it is a physical embodiment of your pain but mm. you've created something new yes in, in without meaning yes to carry on this process yes <laughs> like, there's a there's a lovely way so one of the things that happened to me afterwards was you know i was saying i suddenly was seeing death everywhere yeah i would i would get really upset at moments in action films when mercenaries died same yes i weep for them <laughs> yes. they don't like yes. it they just kill them they shoot people yes. with no thought exactly uh, before i'd always found action films really really comforting yeah so i thought okay well my comfort is die hard i'll put die hard on uh, and then you watch, you know, just the briefest moment when they shoot the mercenary glibly, glibly. and there's just no this cares. moment in the eye, no one cares. And I'd get really upset oh. about, you know, bad guy number four yeah. dying. Yeah. Um, but I was just kind of seeing it everywhere. And then I was reading uh, one of the Jack Reacher novels by Lee Child. Yeah. Um, Jack Reacher's mother dies. So again, I turned to this for some escape, oh, for some comfort, yeah, Lee yeah, Child. Yeah. But no, actually the one about the mother dying. But there was this line in there, which actually it really struck me um, where the mother so the mother's ill and the, but refusing treatment and um, the mother says to Jack Reacher I I don't I don't want to take treatment because if I die there's more space for somebody else on the planet mm. and I've had my life um, and she kind of talks about it quite mathematically like I take up this much space and right. then somebody else could have that cubic feet you know <laughs> of my body in the world and of course it doesn't really work that way um, but it made me think about what can replace the person yeah. nothing can replace the person themselves but maybe I could do something that could stand in their footsteps you know maybe I can yeah. write, write this book and say to George here this is in memory of you this exists now and that's so interesting because I just think you feel like you've got a hole in the middle of you. Absolutely. Like you feel like there's a literal physical hole. Absolutely. And then it is, what do you fill it with? And I think if you can fill it with something that is about creating something new, mm. I'm not talking like having a baby. I mean, like, <laughs> like you said, it doesn't, whatever you, however you want to express yourself, then the space is, like you said, it is not better. Mm. But rather than feeling, that's what I always try to tell myself, like, if I fill it with alcohol, it, it doesn't make the space, the space feels worse. Yeah, It's like the it alcohol sloshes around in that mm. hole and I feel more empty. Mm. Whereas if I fill it with performance or writing, it's like, it's somehow, I don't know, like it, it like feeds the hole or something. It just, it's like, yes. it doesn't hurt as much. Yes. And I find anything that tries to dampen that pain is, it makes to me much, feel yes, much worse. Absolutely. There's that Paul Simon lyric. I can't remember it exactly, but it's about the heart being a window. Oh yes. Um, and what he says, everybody lyric? sees you're blown apart. Um, and it's like the window smashed and everybody can see into it. Oh, and that's I love Paul Simon so much. Me too. Really want to know this Me too. Everybody uh, says you're blown apart. Everybody sees the window. Everyone sees the window. Oh, God. Okay. People <laughs> listening are screaming the lyric at us. Yeah, yeah. We'll Google it. We'll yeah, Google we'll Google it. Um, 
But that to me so kind of summed it up because yeah. I I felt like um, people could see. Yes. Uh, my, they couldn't really in no, that often. But you feel it's like dark, like but um like your grease food paper or something. Yes, like yeah. And there is this thin. hole that people could point to and go, wow, yeah. look at that. God, that's gaping. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it does feel comforting to say, well, yes, um, it, it is gaping, but also, like, I, I can fill it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be blown apart forever. Yeah. In that way. The other thing you made me think <laughs> is that Austin Powers sketch. Have you seen, <laughs> do you remember that? Is yeah. it Austin Powers 2? Where they shoot all the guys <laughs> yes. and then they cut, this made me laugh, so they cut to the woman and it's like, hello? Oh, is this, <laughs> this the wife of Henchman 5? Yes. He just died. <gasps> Johnny, your father's died, and I was like, I cried with laughter at that because I was like, yes, I feel like Henchman Five does have a family. Yes, yes. And when you have, otherwise, why is he a henchman? He's probably, you know, it's hard to get a job. Yeah, yeah. See, there you go. If you've got limited skills, who's obsessed with narrative, you will find a narrative for fucking anything. Yeah, absolutely anything. Yeah, he's been disillusioned with other things in life. Yeah, he used to believe. Now just do it for money. He wanted to be henchman four. He was working up. He thought maybe one day I can be henchman one. I don't know. I'm gonna just see what happens. Yeah. And yeah. then, no, you're wearing a red shirt, you're cut down. Uh, so it's such a, I mean, I haven't seen it for years, so maybe I shouldn't recommend it, because you know sometimes you watch it and go, oh, it's very misogynistic, <laughs> I'd forgotten. Um, but at the time, I remember really enjoying us. Yes. Well, Kim, thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's been really lovely. About George and Testament, which is available to buy now at all good bookshops, I'm assuming. Indeed, indeed. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Kim's novel, Testament, is available to buy now in all good bookshops, and you can follow her on Twitter at Kim T. Sherwood. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TheGriefCast, or you can email thegriefcast at gmail.com. If you have been enjoying the show, please do rate and review it on iTunes. It really helps other people find the show. I know we all say that, but it's true. And if you also are enjoying it, you can subscribe so you don't miss an episode as well. Music was provided by the Glue Ensemble and the show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios. And remember, you are not alone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.